Um, I wish to begin with a question, um, Ms. Roberts, if you want to go ahead and, and give us an idea on your thoughts and maybe your experiences in this field. When we say um, the word mental health, what do we mean exactly by that? Okay, thank you firstly, Charlene, for your warm introduction. And I appreciate you inviting me here to talk about mental health during this Mental Health Awareness Month. So that's a very important question that you asked because usually when we talk about mental health, the definition isn't clear to many of us. Oftentimes we use the terms mental health and mental illness interchangeably, but they're two different things. So what is mental health? Well, to put it simply, it's a part of every single thing that we do. So when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about our thinking, how we think about things, how we deal with our emotions, our behaviors, and it affects us at every stage of our development. So mental health is pretty much intertwined with every single thing that we do at every stage of our lives. Thank you. And that's, that's interesting how you were able to break it down. It's everything we do, how we think. And that one really sticks out to me because we've often heard that our thoughts then create our habits, which in turn creates our character. So the way we think plays a huge role in essentially the things that we do or rather don't do. So based on your own professional research, um, what have you found to say is the number one reason why maybe mental health isn't a topic that is widely discussed. When I say widely discussed, I mean in terms of the radio or TV shows or talk shows or even around the dinner table in our families. Why, why is it often so taboo that we would discuss mental health at large? I think that's an excellent question. And I think that there are several reasons for that. We have to firstly look at our history. So when we talk about mental health in our country and mental health in the Caribbean, there's a lot of shame associated with mental health. Persons, when they presented with mental health issues, they would be placed in asylums or we would refer to them as madhouses. So they were actually removed from society, locked away from society. And although over time, we've improved mental health treatment and care, the shame associated with mental health still presents today in 2021. There's still a lot of stigma. There's still a lot of misinformation surrounding mental health and why it matters. And we continue to treat people um, in, in very discriminatory ways because either we're not understanding the significance of mental health or we don't know how to provide proper ethical care for these people. And this can be anyone, any one of us at some way, at some point in our lives, I should say, will experience something upsetting, disturbing, difficult to deal with that we can benefit from in terms of talking to somebody. But to add to it, we cannot overlook cultural influence. And we all know, especially in, in, in the society as, as a Caribbean people, how we are raised and, and the things that we value or the things that we talk about in our homes, they significantly impact how we deal with our experiences. So one thing, and, and I will say it because I'm sure it's many of us can relate, culturally, many of us have been told to quiet our pain, right? Just don't talk about it. 
And if you express how you feel and it's not considered good or socially acceptable, it's problematic. Okay, so either you there's something wrong with you for having the feelings that you do, or it's a sign or an indicator of weakness, or perhaps it's something to be ashamed of. So this, this belief is something that we continue to, to carry out as a people. And it's very, very, very um, unfortunate because when we perpetuate these belief systems, people are less likely to show up acts for help and to express when something does not feel right within them. And so they suffer in silence and things unfortunately become outside of their control. To add to this a bit further, and it's uncomfortable to talk a little bit about, but even when we identify very much as a faith-based people, one of the common beliefs or, or talking points that I hear is your faith is flawed, meaning the reason you're experiencing this is you're not praying hard enough or, or you're not doing the right thing. But it's important to emphasize here that believers, a believer experiences mental health concerns just as, as anybody else does, okay? Suffering doesn't just take place in our bodies, it also takes place in our minds. So it has nothing to do with a lack of faith. It has something to do with us feeling overwhelmed by our circumstances, either isolated and alone, not having the effective mechanisms to manage what's going on, and simply knowing when it's time to ask for help, when we are beyond our capacity to do things um, independently. And sometimes we don't know when that is, which is why education and understanding signs and symptoms of, of mental health and mental, uh, mental illnesses, I should say, is very, very important. Wow, what an excellent response, I thank you. And you, you give quite a bit there to unpack. I wanna to touch first on what you said, if we can go back just a second, where you said a lot of it has to do with, with our cultural upbringing and, and a lot of it was seen as a stigma. And, and I have to say, I, I support that. And we, we buy, a lot of people would say it's in my DNA, my culture is who I am. And so the, the taboo continues to persist. And so what, what do you feel is something we can do to probably get over that hump of not allowing uh, the, the, the narrative to continue in our minds that say, oh, this is just how so-and-so is. They have some mental health issues or some things that are not okay. So we'll just put them away. How do we, how do we get over that hump of, oh, this person actually needs help? let's provide that for them. Are, are there things that, that exist currently in, in our society or, or, or is there something that you would recommend that we should do maybe as, as a people, as families, or even as a government? What do you think? Okay, I think we can go about this several ways, but it, it firstly starts with recognizing that an, a problem exists. So there's no solution to be found or applied if we're not willing to be honest about what we're experiencing. And that requires each and every one of us from child to parent, to teacher, to community leader, to, to the pastors within the churches, the, uh, the leaders of our country. This is everybody's issue. And so we have to firstly identify that each of us 
we are affected in different ways. And especially now as we're dealing with this epidemic of COVID-19 and the additional crises of, of feeling, feeling financially um, overwhelmed, a, a lack of access to resources, that everybody is challenged. And so we have to firstly begin by talking about it and, and ridding of the shame associated with having conversations about when we don't feel right, when we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances. And perhaps we have to be educated on how to have those conversations because it's not an easy task. You typically make decisions based on what you're familiar with and, and what you know and what you understand to be your truth and your reality. So I think the way we can go about maybe changing this is firstly recognizing that mental health, connecting the dots between mental health and everything in our lives, meaning it's not separate from our lives, it is at the root of who we are. And we also have to consider that our focus should not just be on prevention, on um, interventions, okay? We need to focus on how can we prevent things? We unfortunately only become interested when things are beyond our control. So perhaps looking at the, you know, developing a mental health program or programs at a primary school level, teaching kids what it means to identify an emotion, process an emotion, respond to conflicts and stressors. And we can refer to this as maybe social emotional programs that would be healthy. Maybe talking about what it means to have learning opportunities enriched within our schools. So helping kids to identify their strengths so that they could feel good about themselves and empowered to, to work towards something um, in their lives. Because at the root of many, I would say, mental illnesses, a recurring thread is, is people feel either disconnected or people feel um, helpless about their situations. And sometimes it's not just a matter of showing up in a therapist's office or talking to a trusted individual or a community leader. It's sometimes what are the practical oppor opportunities available to me that I, I can actually apply to make a difference. And talking to someone is great, but if I can see myself learning and building, a, uh, developing a trade and making money from this, that's actually something I can measure in my life to make a difference. So education, skill um, opportunity, skill building, I believe is crucial here. And I think we just simply have to remember to have conversations. So whether it's checking in um, uh, within our communities, working with community leaders to see how we can better coordinate our resources or, or um, be responsible as, as within our neighborhoods, wherever we are, whatever we're involved in. Remembering it's, it's a collective effort. It's not an individual's responsibility to do something differently. And then what we think about it at a governmental level, transparency, accountability, resources, opportunities, these are the things we, meet, we need to make meaningful change in our lives. So yes, I am a proponent of therapy because I'm a therapist. But one of the things you will learn in therapy, depending on the therapist's orientation and, and their approach to therapy is, change is inward, but your environment needs to shape the change that you are working toward. So that looks like, where can I go to learn a skill? What tools are you going to provide me with in terms of funding to actually do something different in my life so I can support myself, my family, and feel rid of this, this emptiness that's consumed me, especially now 
in 2020 during um, this COVID epidemic that puts many of us at further risk for dealing with mental health issues and our kids. That's a whole nother topic. And I'm sure, Charlene, you'll get to that eventually. But this is not mm -hmm. just an adult issue. This is a, ch a child issue as well, an adolescent issue as well, a young adult issue as well. So I, I'm sorry, I talked a lot there. I get long winded at times. So please. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. I think you what you're saying is there are lots of value in that. Um, you you pretty much covered so many things that are pragmatic that we can implement into society. And I, I especially appreciate where you said, let's not just think intervention, um, let's think prevention. Because often we tend to miss the signs. I read an article not that long ago in the American Psychology Journal where it talks about how children are now being diagnosed more and more with psychological and mental issues and, and it's really unfortunate because parents that aren't cued in or that aren't paying attention, they miss these signs. And even in the Bahamas, um, growing up in the Bahamas, I have often been one to say, oh, we're just a happy-go-lucky people. We're just always happy and smiling. And that could be the effect of the vitamin D and the wonderful sunshine and the ocean, maybe. Um, but for the most part, I remember growing up where, you know, suicide or anything like that was never even a thought in my mind um, or even thoughts in, in the minds of friends that I had around me. But sadly, it has come to our shores and, and we again are, are making it as if it's a non-issue, as if it's just going to disappear into thin air. But like you said, let's start at the primary level Let's start with, with these schools implementing programs. I know in the, in the United States, they have something called an IEP where they're able to assess children and be able to, to notice certain things and teachers are trained in that. And so a lot of times children come to school with so many different signs and things that are going on that are not okay, but we miss them. We miss them as guidance counselors, we miss them as teachers. We miss them even as, as, as you mentioned earlier, as church leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And then these children then grow into their teenage years, never really being heard, never really having a voice or anybody to have a voice for them. And so they kind of go into adult years thinking, oh, this is normal. This is how I should be. When in fact, there should be resources and different programs available to help them. So you touched a lot on so many wonderful things then I appreciate that. And, and of course I could go into how can we involve our religious organizations a whole lot more. I know you mentioned that. And again, growing up, I went to many different activities as a youth. I know I always went to, I think it was called Bible study school during the summer. There were always programs at church and different things, but again, did we really see the individual or was it just a collective body of young people? Because within those collective bodies, there are individuals that are screaming or crying out for help. And we, we often uh, miss that and it goes unseen. So my next question to you here, um, Ms. Roberts, if we remain on this trajectory that we're currently on in 2021, 
in about 10 years from today, 2031, in the Bahamas, what do you think will happen to this country in relation to our mental hygiene if we don't address it today? If we stay on this same path, what is, I mean, I know I'm not asking you to predict the future, but based on what you have experienced and what you know, and I'm sure you have a plethora of knowledge, but where do you see us being a decade from today if we don't address these issues that are plaguing our nation? That is an excellent question. And before I address that, I do want to make clear that we do have organizations and individuals who provide um, some, for, the exa for example, um, the crisis center provides community um, support, uh, emotional support for individuals dealing with a variety of, of emotional concerns. You have other organizations that are showing up and, and doing their part to help people navigate these very trying times. We also, within our school, school systems, we have um, family life programs and we, teachers, some of our teachers are pioneers in that they offer their services, right? Their own time to work closely with students who are exhibiting some concerns. And so we do have individuals who are using their resources, their talents as best as possible to help meet people's individual needs. But it's not enough. It is not enough because we are overwhelmed, right? We are dealing with so many issues all as one, all at once. And in order to make progress, it is healthy to coordinate our resources and pull together to discuss effective policies, procedures, standards of practice, so that everybody feels as though there's an opportunity to be listened to, to feel heard, and to develop a sense of value and purpose. And that's not an easy thing to do when even the helping professionals are dealing with their own realities. But to speak a little bit um, more about the question that you just posed, where do I see us within the next 10 years? Well, yeah. the reality is that we, at this time, we're living in a time that we're, we're fully aware of, we have access to technology, we are becoming more informed and educated on different conditions, different illnesses, etc. We have a lot of platform of information available to us. Technological advancements and access to information is becoming more readily available. But I believe that that information is only useful when A, firstly, people feel that they are cared for, and B, people feel supported, which ultimately leads to them feeling empowered. So if we aren't going to talk about mental health and its effect on our lives, it doesn't matter how much we advance in terms of resources. We're going to continue to see patterns that are disturbing, that are distressing to us, that are going to affect our life quality and possibilities for improvement. So once again, it's everybody's business and responsibility to examine the mental health landscape and see how we can work together. And to begin, we must, I think, consider a cultural inventory. In therapy, one thing that is often recommended is to do a self-check, to check in with your thoughts. What am I thinking? How are my thoughts um, affecting me? And how am I managing those in, in this current moment? 
Do I have effective ways of managing what I'm thinking and how it's affecting me emotionally? Or am I overwhelmed and do I need further assistance? Similarly, I think we have to have a cultural inventory. What is working for us as a society? What isn't working? What are our needs? And these kinds of intentional questions, purposeful questions, I think if we're honest about them and what the answers are, it will help us to advance socially, economically, culturally in ways that are going to benefit us in the long term. And so it's not an independent process. It's, it's each of our, all of our responsibilities. And so I think that's where the true advancement will come in. What a fantastic idea. I love it to do a cultural inventory because for too long it's gone unchecked. Nobody has checked in, nobody is, um, and I probably shouldn't use such platitudes, but very few people have really checked in to see where we are as a society. Sometimes we get so focused on the economic stability of the country or are we doing these other things that we're not looking at individuals first. We're not looking at families and how are they functioning. And you bring up such an, a, a remarkable point there, even if we are advancing, because we can't stop it. The train is on the tracks, it's going, we're going to have all of these um, technolo technological advances. There, it's just inevitable. And whether or not we jump on that train, but if we bring all of that baggage with us, then it's almost like dragging and carrying this load and can't really keep up. We, we often say we wanna be a um, part of the global village, but we must do some cleaning up, so to speak, in, 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 our, in our particular um, part of the, of the world. And, and, and I think that's the Caribbean at large, and I, I probably shouldn't speak for everybody, but I feel that we need to do that as a, as a group. And certainly you, I, I, I love that terminology of cultural inventory. And, and if we don't do that, then we find ourselves right where we started and not really making much advancement. Okay, um, I just have one final question for you. Um, one, just one, Charlene. There's so much more to talk about. You have to bring me back because there's some important things that, you know, I think that I would like to mention if we have adequate time. Yes. Always happy to come back to, to continue to talk about this topic if, if you feel that that is something um, you would like to do. Absolutely. I would love it because you've provided such valuable insight into things that I myself, I wasn't fully aware that we did have certain programs available. And if I'm not aware, I'm, I'm sure there are others that are not. And like you said, it's not enough. And so people get overwhelmed. And so we, I certainly will be looking forward to having a continuation, maybe even a part two to this conversation. Um, a bonus question for you here. Um, what, what would you say if you could sit down with a family or even a governmental agency, um, what would you say are five steps or five actionable items that you would recommend to them that they can begin implementing into their own lives, not necessarily just for their patients or those that are, that are um, hurting, but what are five things that you would recommend, or even three, it's up to you, that they can begin doing today that are, that are simple, but, um, but that, as you said earlier, that can be implemented so that they can be more aware and prepared 
for the, the thoughts that tend to flood their minds and, and being able to deal with that. Okay, so what I think is, is very important here is firstly to establish environments of safety. Okay, for our children, adolescents, whomever is experiencing um, mental health concerns or challenges, whether it's just chronic stress, uh, thoughts that are ruminating, or as we say, replaying over and over again, or emotions simply feeling uh, being outside of our control, whatever it is that somebody is dealing with. In order to talk about them, firstly, you have to feel safe enough to do so. And what I think we often do, especially as parents, right, is we, or as the adult, we are very focused on corrective action and arriving at solutions, but we don't take the time to adequately listen, right? We right. are very, very much focused on what's the issue, let's solve it. But sometimes when we're very terse or, or we don't allow people to be themselves and really reveal, right? Get all of that chaos out in, ter in terms of their emotions and what's affecting them. That disrupts the connection that needs to be formed in order for the support to be available. And so I think we really need to slow down and consider that this is everybody's problem, that even our children, right? Our children are showing or exhibiting signs of mental health concerns a lot earlier, a lot sooner. And so we have to recognize that their thoughts and feelings matter too. It's not just about the, the, the bills, sorry, that need to be paid. It's also, how is my child dealing with feeling isolated? How is my child dealing with the confusion, right? Of, of not understanding why they have to remain at home and work from a digital learning platform. So providing a safe environment, not being so inclined to provide solution, but really connect to someone genuinely to demonstrate concern. And just as I mentioned a few moments ago, a cultural inventory, I think it's healthy and these are practical tools you can do at home. Keep a journal, keep a record of, of when you identify changes within yourself. So if you're suddenly becoming more irritable or easily angered or overwhelmed, See if you can identify a pattern that's developing. Did something happen before this emotion changed? As it's happening, how are you dealing with it now? So what are you doing in those moments? And is it becoming chronic or is it happening occasionally? So I typically say, when you're starting to feel unlike yourself, write down when things are changing, how it's showing up in your life and ask yourself, Am I able to manage independently or is this becoming overwhelming? And if that's the case, if it's becoming unmanageable, it's okay to say I'm not okay. And I will leave you with some resources that are available now during COVID because we have so many people, parents dealing with kids who are externalizing behaviors, um, you know, just acting out. And then on the other end, we have those who are um, withdrawing or concealing, right? They're not saying how they feel, but we can see something is not right. But the parents also too are hurting. So do those in inventories um, and as the adult, talk to your kids, ask them, how are things going with you? Rem you know, be reminded that if you're upset about anything, I'm here, I'm available to talk to you. And I, I also suggest offering some sort of, or developing a new, um, a new structure in your lives with your child to kind of give them something to look forward to and disrupt the unknown. So right now, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know what's gonna happen. 
No, we don't. If we can establish a routine in our home, whether that it sounds very simple, but some of us are getting up any time of the day, rolling out of bed any time of the day. Simple things, time for hygiene, time for nutrition, um, time to hydrate, time to check in online or do some practice questions. We don't recognize the great impact that these these decisions, right, or, or the, this structure creates in our lives. Not only does it take us out of our mind, it helps to clear a bit of the clutter that we're, we're dealing with day to day, and it creates a bit of normalcy that many of us feel is foreign to us right now. So I'm a bit long-winded, but establishing environments of safety, also ensuring that um, you do check, self-check, check in with yourself in terms of your emotions, how they're showing up and how you're dealing with them and trying to create structure. To add to that, be mindful of what you're consuming in terms of media, make sure it's accurate and make sure you're not doing it too frequently. And use this time for, for renewal, as I call it. Just learn a subject. There are many courses online that are free. Enroll in them. Teach your child how to bake or you, you, go, you, know, you look up recipes if you can. Learn to do something new. And sometimes I think we, we believe we need money to do some of these things, but sometimes some of these, these things that we can develop, it's just a matter of us, of us being creative and, and taking the time to ask ourselves, how can I better myself in these times when my environment is out of my control? At least in these times, if I can improve myself, I'll be hopefully a bit better prepared to function in society when things ease a bit and things become, and I use the term normal, right? But things become uh, more comfortable or safe for us. Or a and new normal I, rather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think those are some practical tools that we can, we can uh, use. And to add to that final thoughts, I would say this, we're all gonna have highs and lows. And it takes courage to identify when something feels wrong and to say that I need help. Parents need help, kids need help, I need help. I'm the therapist and I need help, right? I don't always have the answers. I need to talk to people too. So we just sometimes need a listening ear. Um, I have a few resources here that I found online. The Bahamas Psychological Association in collaboration with a Ministry of Health, PHA and PAHO, they have uh, health lines available support hotlines as they refer to it as. And on the BPA Facebook, these are some contacts that were posted. The adult hotline is listed as 816-3799-815-5850. And it appears that they also have a child and adolescent support line, which is 819-7652. So, you're not alone in this. There are people, trained individuals you can check in with. And if you're at the point where you don't wanna to talk to somebody in terms of an actual therapist, it's okay. Just find a trusted person. That could be your pastor. That could be an aunt, an uncle, a close friend. Sometimes you simply need to say how you feel. And that may be enough for you to start to feel a bit more hopeful and better a bit about yourself and what's happening in your life. Wow, thank you so much. If I heard correctly, I, hear, I heard you mention a couple of items that can get us started today. Create that safe environment for both children and adults. Be a good listener. A lot of us struggle with that, even I myself. But listening 
intently to what that person has to say. Um, being able to, to offer that support, having no judgment in there, whatever that person is dealing with or going through, and certainly maybe invest in ourselves, right? Um, kind of step outside of our thoughts or whatever it is we're going through, learn a skill, learn a trade, whatever necessary to, to better help ourselves. And I, and I appreciate you also sharing that information out there that is available that people can go to and to feel that they are not alone because often that's really what creates this flood of more health issues going on is because people feel like nobody really cares about me. I'm all alone in this and I have no support, but I'm happy that you were here today and you could offer us these um, items and, and insights. Let us know, no, you don't have to go through this by yourself. And there's a lot of work that we need to, to do, um, but together we can certainly accomplish it if we have that mindset of we want to have a healthy nation. And I especially appreciate where you said, be mindful of what you consume. And we often think that that entails from the, from the hand to the mouth, but it also goes back to what you said earlier, the thoughts that we have, the things that we think about and the things that we speak plays a huge role in our mental hygiene. I wanna thank you so very much today, Ms. Roberts, for your time and for the information that you've provided. Now we need to go forth and execute that. It has been incredibly valuable and I have appreciated your time so very much. Please keep an eye out. I will probably have you come back so we can have a part two because this has certainly been an eye opener for me and I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Charlene, for having me. I hope that I was able to leave you with some valuable information, although there's so much more that we can talk about. Absolutely. And I hope that we can work together to prioritize our mental health and to help support each other during this very, very um, difficult time. We can't do it alone. Absolutely. Support will always create a better force and strength. And as always, thank you to everybody that was listening in today. We appreciate your time as well. And remember to go into our comment section, share your ideas. And as always, what are the takeaways that you got from this show today? And what are some of the actionable items that you will be implementing so that you will have better mental hygiene and allow them to become practices into your life and habits? Once again, thank you for tuning in to Flip the Price Tag. We'll see you again next time. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Take care, everyone.